This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 209. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman. Today, I'm also joined by Mr. Jacob Paulson. Hello, everyone. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Good, good. Uh, busy day, I'm sure, for you as usual. All, all normal. <laughs> we have uh, something really exciting and cool that Jacob's been working on. Uh, has to do with our attendance at the uh, USCCA Expo here in, gee whiz, like a little less than a month. And uh, just know that we've got something really cool we're going to be giving away at the uh, Expo for those of you that are able to join us. I'm not sure when Jacob wants to break that news, but uh, I'm teasing it. So there you go. (laughs) Uh, I'm keeping my lips sealed for now. (laughs) Today, uh, we've got a, a... our typical news episode, we got some pretty interesting stories uh, to cover today. We've got a lot to cover as well. Uh, first of all, we have four incredible justified saves that, I, that I'm excited to share. And actually, we have technically a fifth because we're going to get into this, this uh, school shooting that just happened this morning in Maryland. And that technically classifies as a save. And I'm calling it that today. I mean, we don't typically feature law enforcement involved or officer involved shootings as our justified saves on the podcast. We we generally keep those very civilian or citizen or whatever focused, but this story is just so incredible. We're going to count it anyway. So, um, and then we've got some other uh, great stories, including a new product that's been announced, a double barreled AR 15. Hmm. Kind of curious what your, your thoughts on that one will be Jacob. But first, today's episode is brought to you by, and I'm sporting it proudly today. I'm wearing my Guardian Nation gear here today. We got the special 2017 edition Guardian Nation hat. Can't get those anymore, sorry to say. Uh, we'll probably have some more hats again soon. Who knows? I've got my Guardian Nation t-shirt on, which is part of the welcome kit that every Guardian Nation member gets. Uh, you'll That'll be shipped to you almost immediately as, as soon as you sign up for Guardian Nation. Uh, so those of you that uh, have not yet signed up, what are you waiting for? You're going to want this awesome t-shirt. Plus all that's just like a little bonus, some icing on the cake uh, because of everything else you're going to get for being a member of Guardian Nation. So, and Jacob is the uh the bribe, is that can is that something that's going on? Is that live? Is that something yeah. we talked about? Yep, if you join Guardian Nation this month, March 2018, you will also receive a Range Tech shot timer. Uh, which is pretty cool. It's a little device that plugs into a cell phone into like the headphone jack. And it works with a, an app that you download to your phone. It's actually a really legitimate, awesome shot timer that doesn't take up a lot of space. It just plugs right into your phone. And uh, yeah, it works. So you get one of those for free. Shot timers run like 100 bucks plus, you know, good shot timer. So it's a pretty good deal. And I have some really sad news. At least I think so. So I think my really nice, you know, massive, big, bulky, high quality, uh, shot timer. I think it just died. (laughs) So I thought it was the battery, right? And I've replaced the battery. I'm pretty sure the battery I stuck in is new and it still won't turn on. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I spent 120, $130 on that shot timer a couple years ago. And it's a, it's one of those nice, you know, shot timers that most people use because things like this range tech, 
timer didn't exist yet. And because uh, anyone that's tried the shot timers on your cell phones know that they suck, except for this Range Tech product is super cool because it makes your cell phone into a really legit uh, uh, shot timer. So I, I'm kind of flabbergasted that my uh, shot timer has has died on me. So not cool. And I, like I said, I tested the battery. You know, it's a nine volt battery. So, you, you know, stick it against the tongue, right? And if it gives you that little, you know, then, then you know it's a good battery, right? That's right. Good thing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I don't know. So uh, thanks to all those of you joining us on the podcast. Uh, those of you that are watching live on Facebook, appreciate you. Uh, we have our next segment here is this week's case of the week from Andrew Branca, Law of Self-Defense. So I'm going to go ahead and play that back right now, Jacob. And this, once again, deals with Wyoming. I say once again, and we talked about it last week, but here we go. You ready for this? Fire. All right. Thanks, Concealed Carry Podcast, for having me back on for another Law of Self-Defense case of the week. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. This case of the week is provided for educational purposes only. If you are in need of legal advice, you must consult with an attorney in the relevant jurisdiction. This week's case of the week is going to be a bit different than the norm because we're not actually going to talk about a case. We're going to talk about some changes that the state of Wyoming has made in its self-defense laws because those changes give us an opportunity to explore some of the more subtle aspects of these self-defense provisions. One is that Wyoming has just become a stand-your-ground state, the 36th stand-your-ground state in the country. Now, stand-your-ground does come in different flavors, and the particular flavor chosen by Wyoming tells us something about the nuances of stand your ground in that state. The specific language provides that a person who is attacked in any place where the person is lawfully present shall not have a duty to retreat before using reasonable defensive force, provided that he is not the initial aggressor and is not engaged in illegal activity. So we can see that stand your grounds provided they've relieved you of the legal duty to retreat, but only if you meet particular conditions. One of those conditions is that you're attacked in a place you have a lawful right to be, so you're not a trespasser, for example. Another of the conditions is that you were not the initial aggressor in the confrontation. And a third condition is that you're not engaged in illegal activity. Now, these conditions are very common in stand-your-ground statutes, so Wyoming's not unusual in this regard at all. But there are states, about half the stand-your-ground states, are simply stand-your-ground states as a matter of legal doctrine from common law, from case law, from court decisions, rather than from legislation. And in those states, they tend not to have these conditions. You simply don't have a legal duty to retreat before acting in self-defense, period. The other thing that Wyoming did in the change in its self-defense laws was add immunity from criminal prosecution to the already existing civil suit immunity that it had provided for in its laws. So in Wyoming, they already had a procedure for having a pretrial hearing before being sued where you could argue that your use of force was unlawful self-defense. And if you can convince the hearing judge by a preponderance of the evidence, a majority of the evidence, he can immunize you from that civil suit. Well, the new legislation also provides that you shall not be criminally prosecuted. It reads, a person who uses reasonable defensive force in self-defense shall not be criminally prosecuted for that use of reasonable defensive force. These self-defense immunity provisions are very powerful and even, in my mind, more important than stand your ground. 
in most good guy cases of self-defense, stand your ground is frankly not an issue because good guys run away from fights if they can safely do so rather than get into a fight because we're not stupid. So it's actually rare for stand your ground to be a benefit in a good guy case of self-defense. Self-defense immunity, however, has relevance in every defensive use of force because anytime you use force against someone, you're faced a prospect, you could be criminally prosecuted or be civilly sued. And so the self-defense immunity provisions allow you to be relieved of that legal liability without having to actually go to trial with a simple, much less costly, much more rapid self-defense immunity hearing. To put this in the context, a criminal trial from the time the defensive event occurs to final adjudication, a final verdict, can easily take a year and a half, sometimes much longer than that. It can easily cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. So that's the kind of time and financial exposure we're talking about. Unless you live in a state that has a criminal self-defense immunity provision in which you can have that pretrial hearing. Now, that's not free. It's still expensive. It's going to cost several thousands of dollars probably. Um, maybe a couple of tens of thousands of dollars when you throw in the attorney's retainer, but that's a fraction of the cost, a tenth of the cost, an order, but that's a fraction of the cost of an outright trial, and it can all be done in the matter of a few weeks as opposed to possibly years of a criminal trial. So, good for Wyoming. For more information on these legislative changes and on Stand Your Ground and self-defense immunity in general, simply point your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash C-O-T-W for case of the week. One cautionary note, although these Wyoming legislative changes became law on March 16, 2018, they do not become effective for legal purposes until July 1st, 2018. So until that July 1st date, Wyoming remains a duty to retreat state and does not yet have criminal self-defense immunity. If you enjoy this content, I invite you to join us for the Law of Self-Defense live show every Wednesday, 2 p.m. Eastern. It's totally free to either participate live or to watch the recording after each show. For more information, point your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash show. Don't forget, as a listener to this podcast, you can save 10% on just about everything we do at lawofselfdefense.com, including our books, DVDs, online classes, live classes, and more. Just point your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash concealed carry or use the discount code CCP at checkout. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. Well, there you have it. Uh, this week's case of the week from Andrew Branca, Law of Self-Defense. Uh, appreciate those of you, if you will you know, take a minute, go to those links that he gave, uh, check out Law of Self-Defense and everything that Andrew has to offer. Uh, those that... Uh, Go to those uh, to his website and take advantage of those offers. Really, I, I know get a lot out of it, as you can probably tell listening to his analysis of uh, this change in law, uh, particularly for the state of Wyoming. But it also, but like he touched on, he obviously talked about just stand your ground, sort of in general, uh, in, in a lot of ways as well. There's there's definitely some things to be aware of there. Now, there's so many misconceptions about stand your ground law, aren't there, Jacob? Yeah, uh, I'm trying to. Th- to find the episode where we talked about stand your ground with Andrew, but I think there's a lot of confusion about what it is and what it isn't, uh, even among gun owners who realize that it's not some you know, legal immunity from all things self-defense. I think we still don't quite get it. I think we confuse it, and I think we get mixed up about Castle Doctrine, too. Absolutely. 
Yeah, it, I mean, I'm partic- participating in uh, various forums and things online uh, rather frequently, and it's shocking the the comments that you see. I mean, even things as simple as some of the stories we're going to share today, uh, you know, in our Justified Saves portion of the show, uh, or even some of these other stories, you see comments made about, well, you know, at least there's, you know, stand your ground and, you know, and, and stuff like that. And, and usually the comment is made with a, uh, you know, with the wrong assumption about either how it applies in a certain case. In fact, in many cases, it doesn't even necessarily apply. Uh, I mean, how many people realize that standard ground wasn't even an issue in the George Zimmerman case? Uh, you know, but yet we think it, that's how the media portrayed it. And we think about that all the time as it being a standard ground uh, case, but it, it actually didn't apply in that particular case. So, yeah, lots of misconceptions about uh, some of those things. And, and head on over to lawofselfdefense.com uh, and you can do forward slash CCP on that and, and check out everything that Andrew has to offer and all the, the things you can learn from his program. Okay, so um, let's now get into our first news story today. And we don't want to hold this one back any longer necessarily because this is really, it's really important news, obviously. Uh, it's also I think just very timely. Okay. So this is the story. Uh, this was just published on concealedcarry.com a couple hours ago. Uh, the title of this article is Holy Smokes, a good guy with a gun stopped a bad guy with a gun. And this is actually just a little bit of coverage about this school shooting in Maryland this morning. Uh, this is crazy, right? Because we hear, we have all this rhetoric going on in the media right now about school shootings. These students are mar- marching. We just had the uh, the march last week. There's another one, by the way, coming up here in a couple of days on the 24th, I believe, The what they call the March for Our Lives, March for Our Lives uh, movement, I guess, or whatever. Um, I'm pretty sure the same people behind the, the most recent march on uh, March 14th, uh, I'm pretty sure it's the same people behind that one. You see some of these uh, very outspoken pro-gun control uh, advocates that are students that were at Parkland that you see everywhere in the media now. I just saw a video of, of whatever that kid's name, uh, David something or other, and he had a March for Our Lives uh, t-shirt on, or maybe actually it was, the, it was the kid he was with in that particular video. So, I mean, there's going to be more marches. We know that, right? And they are obviously saying that we need to pass more gun control. Um, and when things are sometimes brought up, Jacob, about wanting to have more guns in schools, particularly in the hands of those that are trained to handle them. A lot of times you get pushback on those things. Yet in this Maryland incident this morning at this high school, we have a school resource officer who was armed that was able to quickly respond. He heard the gunshots. He ran immediately to to where they originated from. He exchanged fire with the suspect, now identified as Austin Wyatt Rollins, age 17. uh, And he was able to stop that shooter. And and, uh, unfortunately, because it is unfortunate, this Austin Rollins did pass away from uh, the wounds that he received from this resource officer that opened fire on him. Uh, so far, what we know is that a 16-year-old female student was uh, the, the first student that uh, Rollins pointed his gun at, uh, shot her, and uh, apparently that it, it seemed to indicate that from that initial shot or volley uh, of shots 
uh, she was struck and also a 14-year-old male student in the area was also struck. My understanding is the male student, the 14-year-old, is doing okay. Uh, the 16-year-old, she is in serious condition. But uh, here we go. We have a, a great case study as to, I think, the importance, Jacob, of having someone that is able to respond quickly in the area, you know, immediately, not waiting for a SWAT team or an officer to show up from somewhere else offsite, but you got somebody, and frankly, how many schools have more than one resource officer? Hardly, you know, any. It's usually you have one officer. It's probably rather fortunate this officer was close enough that he could be right there and he kept this from being worse than it was. I think that's just scratching the surface of the implications Absolutely. of the story. Uh, I mean, we also have to remember this took place in Maryland. Maryland yes. is a beacon for gun grabbers. I mean, this is a state that's passed all the laws they want passed, right? They have their own assault rifle ban, which they put into place after the federal one expired. They have uh, magazine capacity limitations. Anything greater than 10 is prohibited. They don't allow suppressors and silencers. Uh, they, they, I mean, they have they've really locked down their gun laws, right? They've done all the things that all the gun grabbers want all of us to do in order to make our children safe. And yet, despite it all, you still have a 17 year old shooting people with a Glock, you know? And so, you know, that to me is just mind numbing. It's like, you know, despite it all, and I get it. Like I can't, I can't be so naive as to say that because it, because something happens, that looser gun laws would not mean that more things like this would happen. And that's what the, the, the counter argument that would be. The counter argument would be, well, if the gun laws were looser in Maryland, then this would happen more often, or this would, more, more people would have been killed before the, the school resource officer intervened or something like that. But, but at the end of the day, it still really clearly proves the point that you can't stop these things from happening with gun laws. You can't do it. And, and to your point, Riley, and I think this is the other kind of key takeaway, is that you know armed people who are trained and prepared can uh, stop these events from being as bad as they would be otherwise, right? I mean, you, you can't stop bad people from doing bad things, but you can limit their dis- their destructive capability. You can cut them short, and that's what happened in this case. And, and we don't know if the person, the shooter, uh, you know, was was injured by the shots of the school resource officer, or if they committed suicide or whatever. But it doesn't really matter. What what's clear is that they would have kept on shooting. They would have kept on injuring and killing their fellow students if it wasn't for the intervention, right, for the, the engagement of the school resource officer. So I, I think we got to get realistic a little bit here. And I'm not saying that it disproves all things, but it sure should help a lot of people in this country who were really pushed over the edge by Parkland stop and breathe and say, wait a minute. You know, th- I thought that this, these two things weren't supposed to happen, that A, school shootings shouldn't happen in states with all these laws, and B, the good guys couldn't stop good guys with guns. And uh, yeah, I, I guess I've been talking for a little while here, but you know, we, 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 a lot of rhetoric about arming school teachers, and this was not a school teacher. And I get that you know, not all school teachers want to be armed, and those who don't want to be armed shouldn't be. But this isn't, you know, the idea of arming school teachers, I think we get off on the wrong, the wrong foot here, because the rhetoric that we as gun rights supporters should be talking about is not, hey, we're going to arm school teachers so that they can stop gunmen. That's not it at all. The, the rhetoric should be, hey, if we want to stop gunmen at schools, we need to put in armed security. And there's no reason we should prohibit school teachers from being armed if they're otherwise legally qualified. And I think that's, that's the takeaway for me. 
Yeah, uh, certainly I would have no problem with additional armed security or officers on school properties. Uh, obviously, that's going to come at a cost, a cost to society, right? You know, that we're going to have to pay more. Taxes may have to be increased to make that happen. Uh, I don't know that everybody would appreciate that necessarily, but is it worth the the cost of, you know, as far as save, is, is saving lives worth that cost? Uh, I, I think we want our children to be safe, of course. Um, you know, the, the beauty with making it possible for, for teachers that desire to arm themselves, uh, the, the beauty with that solution is that it shouldn't really cost anything more for them to be able to do so. Maybe there would be some training requirements that uh, a state or a school district might impose on teachers that choose to do so. Maybe some of those costs would be borne by school districts and ultimately the state and the people at large. Uh, but, you know, once again, that's that's certainly got to be part of the discussion, I think, as a possibility. But here's my, my thought, Jacob, is why are schools gun-free zones to begin with anyway? Because clearly it has no effect and means nothing as far as stopping uh, someone that's intent on doing harm, on going into that school and doing harm. So what's the point? Why, you know, but the, the, the amazing thing to me is that as soon as you say anything about removing a gun-free zone restriction or even opening the door a crack, uh, you know, to suggesting that any law-abiding citizen can have a, a firearm, a weapon on their person on school grounds, you'd think the world, you know, World War III was breaking out. Uh, I mean, that's just, you know, ridiculous and, and completely unreasonable to the other side. I get that, that they don't, they are not of the same mindset that, that we, you and I are on, you know, like we're not anywhere close to being on the same wavelength, but it's just, as far as understanding why we think having these gun-free zones keeps bad things from happening is, is beyond me. And thus, uh, uh, my thought is, when I go to see or check my kids or check on my kids at school, go to a school event, I think I should be able to carry there. They are safer and everyone else is safer there because I'm there and I'm carrying my gun, but yet I'm prohibited from doing so. And I think that's ridiculous. Now, Jacob, you're in a different situation. You, your kids don't go to one of these darn public schools like mine do. I'm not, uh, you know, super duper wealthy like you are and stuff. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a messy game, um, <laughs> and I'm jumping ahead a little bit. But let me let me just give you a little quote from our our friend Diane, right? Uh, Diane, she's kind of trying to uh, rebuttal a lot of the major uh, gun right advocate rhetorics, and one of them. Your friend Diane, meaning Diane Feinstein. Yeah, I use the oh, word friend very loosely. I had no idea you were friends. Yeah, okay. we're not. <laughs> so she she's she talks about this this rhetoric that we have that gr- criminals don't follow the law, you know, and she says her words are quote This is absurd on its face. By this logic, we shouldn't criminalize murder, rape, or kidnapping. Laws laws exist to deter crime, and when a crime is committed, laws are there to ensure punishment is meted out. So. I mean, that's, that's, that's Isn't the killing already illegal. Oh, right. You hit it on the head. It's like, wait, wait a minute. But, but Diane, friend, my friend, what you're suggesting is that we need to criminalize, criminalize the second amendment, right? That just the mere possession of a gun in a school, for example, or near a school uh, should be a criminal act. Like if, if Diane, if you, if you want to make it so that when someone commits a crime, that's already a crime and they happen to do it, with high capacity magazines that we give them a, a 
bigger sentence because they they you they committed the crime with a high capacity magazine or they committed the crime in a school zone by all means be my guest but that's not like the, her, her logic is so backwards here that's that's the problem is is we say things like well criminals don't follow the law people say well that's not the point but the point is to have a law so that to make it illegal it's like but make what illegal the possession of a firearm it's a, it's a, it's a constitutionally protected right the goal should be if if the, if everybody is if everybody is actually serious about stopping school shootings, mass shootings, you know, kids from getting killed, whatever, if that's the goal, then why are we talking about some of this stuff the way we are, right? Like, like that. That's what I don't. You know, for us to even have a logical debate, like we can't be talking about stuff that has no bearing on whether we actually stop a shooting from happening or not, right? Um. I just was thinking as you were as you're talking, Jacob. Uh, are we so quick to forget that the Parkland shooter used ten round magazines for whatever reason? I mean, apparently because he couldn't fit thirty rounders in his bag that he was using to carry everything around. Seems kind of silly to me, but apparently that was the case, and he used ten round magazines, right. and it didn't stop. No, the, you mean, know the, the thing that has been cut become the catalyst for all of this most recent gun control proposals. Yeah. But- <laughs> we're preaching to the choir, so maybe I, I need to get off my horse a little bit. But, but I, I, I'm still really grateful. I, I should say, I'm not grateful that we have two kids that are injured in a school, one in critical condition. I'm not grateful for that. However, I am grateful to have an opportunity to once again open a conversation with people who maybe be, have, have been swayed a little bit, uh, you know, to the wrong side of the fence, because this is a perfect example of. For me, three things. We already mentioned two. One being that, you know, a state with all these gun laws that you would love every state to have didn't stop this from happening. Two, that the shooter was ultimately stopped by a good guy with a gun. And here's the third one, that the shooter was under the age to be able to have that gun. The shooter had a handgun, and and it's a 17-year-old shooter. So clearly, you know, age-related restrictions to the owning, purchasing, or, you know, possession of a, of a firearm have no effect here either. Yep. Well, you're hitting the, the nail on the head as far as the very problem with 98% of what is being preached to us through the media and from our legislative leaders about what we need to do, apparently, to stop this thing from happening again. Okay, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't stop myself. Let me, let me be really, really clear. <laughs> when, when you propose regulation on my Second Amendment rights, in order for me to entertain it, one of two things have to be true, okay? Either one, it actually, I actually have to believe it would have an effect in stopping violence. That has to be true, right? If, because if that's not true, it goes right out the window for me. It's like, no, no point. No point even having the conversation. If I, if I don't believe it would actually have any effect on stopping the violence. That's the first thing that has to be true. The second thing that has to be true is that the benefit outweighs the liability, the the risk or the inherent loss of rights, right? And that's true of all things. Anytime we regulate any constitutionally guaranteed rights, we have to decide, one, does it actually make any positive difference at all? And B, if it does, does that benefit outweigh the rights we lose? Because sometimes it yeah. doesn't. I know that sounds horrible. I know it sounds horrible for me to say that, well, hey, if that legislation might even save one life, that doesn't actually mean it's worth it. If it means 
that it limits the ability for good law-abiding people to defend themselves, that it actually might be a loss of life in the end. So those two things have to be true for us to have the conversation. I have to believe that it would have some impact whatsoever, and that that impact outweighs the loss of rights that good lawful gun owners would, 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 would experience. Yeah. Good thoughts, Jacob. And I'm glad you got back on your high horse. You know, I know we are preaching to the choir, but this is important for our people to hear. And hopefully this gets you all fired up. You know, this is your weekly fire up session, you know, so you're armed with the, uh, the, the desire, I guess, and also the information, the knowledge, hopefully, hopefully what we talk about here arms you, you know, in a metaphorical sense, uh, with the facts and the arguments that better enables you to talk, uh, you know, in a knowledgeable fashion with your friends or family or coworkers or, or, or local government, governmental leaders, you know, to talk in a, in a, a legitimate way to them about the issue. Uh, that's what we aim to do here and always have done. So at the concealed carry podcast is try to talk about the issues in a logical and respectful in a fact based way. We, we generally try to stay away from, uh, uh, rhetoric that doesn't have any, any sort of basis or finding in, in fact or statistics in some way. Well, let's shift gears for, for a moment. Uh, I'm, Pulling up here, Jacob, the next story on our list, which is uh, a fun story. Back by popular demand, apparently. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't really hear that from that many people. But a couple episodes ago, we had uh, a listener that was like, we got to have something fun on the podcast. (laughs) So here's your next fun thing, guys. A new product announced from Gilboa, which is a company I hadn't really heard about. And I had to do a little bit of uh, digging into these guys and come to find out the same guys that are behind the corner shot uh anybody familiar with the you familiar oh, yeah, with the corner yeah. shot jacob yeah i mean i remember it from uh i remember it first from top shot on the history channel yeah here you go and, and so the corner shot is that uh it's it you, it's meant to put a glock pistol into you know this framework right and you can turn this thing different directions it has a video camera that is sighted in with the sights of the pistol so that you you can turn the whole contraption 90 degrees basically shoot around corners without exposing yourself and there's crosshairs in the video screen it's like it's like playing a video game except this is a, a real life you know thing and and you're shooting bullets uh and i know it's been used by special forces special you know operating units in, in certain contexts, um, it's a pretty interesting device. Well, they have come out with this double-barreled AR-15. And I'm not, I'm not even joking here. The Gilboa DBR Snake, 11.5-inch. I imagine that means they will have other lengths available. But this is essentially two AR-15s merged into one. And with – it doesn't actually say it outright, but my – I, I'm guessing what this means is every pull of the trigger means two shots fire are fired. No, there's two triggers. Is there two triggers? Yeah, it's a double trigger. And I guess that would uh, have to be Tr- yeah, 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 to, to yep. keep it legal as a semi-auto. Yep. So double double but triggers. You can pull them at the same time. Right. Yeah. I suppose you could. Yeah. <laughs> now you're inserting two 30 round mags, yeah, uh, or two two mags, I should say. You know, compatible mags, and you're you know, you got double double triggers. You can press one at a time, or you can pull both. But yeah. Game 
Well, I, I suppose though, Riley, you know, here'd be a question for you. Uh-huh. So if I'm in a state that only allows magazines of 10 or less, and I put two 10 round mags in this gun, is it legal or illegal? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I mean, I, I would guess that it would probably be legal in most contexts because we have to read the statutes. statutes that I'm familiar with that I have read from, you know, several various states. It just only talks about magazine capacities. Right. Talk about right. It in the in the context of the weapon itself necessarily. Well, it varies. Like New Jersey uh, talks about you know your ability to carry spare mags and you can't have more than twenty rounds total for all you know on you at any given time, regardless of the capacity of the weapon. So it, there there are. I mean, it might vary from state to state, but it's it's just an interesting little side note thought. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, what's next? A triple barreled? Hey, that'd be a heavy gun, man. Although you know, I had a thought. The, the way I would like to see something like this designed, if you're really going to be serious about it, because to me, it seems a little bit awkward to pull the two triggers, right? I mean, obviously, you, you, you're going to have to use quite a bit of finger to get both fingers on the, both triggers, and it'll probably take a little bit of practice to get that down fairly simultaneously, right? Um, and maybe you could even get so good to where you could fire one and the other, and then, you know, like kind of like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth really rapidly. Okay, but how about this? What if you had a contraption where you put your finger in the trigger guard and you pull the trigger, right? And it fires one of the two rifles barrels. And then you have like a trigger in front of your finger. And you, so as soon as you release and you hit this other trigger that activates the other gun and you just like, kind of like some of those binary trigger systems, but this would be two legitimate, two separate triggers for each different rifle. Hmm. Yeah. You could call it a bump trigger. Well, you know darn well this would be one of the first things that uh, is is on the assault weapons ban. And <laughs> Feinstein uh, would want to yeah. get rid of. So, uh, yeah. All right, on to the next thing. That's a fun, interesting little new product that is. Well, I don't know that it's hitting the market. I I, I have no idea. Uh, th- that website doesn't seem to indicate you can buy it anywhere. But you know, hey, here here you go. This sort of thing exists, I guess. Next up, I, I came across this story last week, and I got some mixed feelings about it, and I'm sure you do too, Jacob. Nationalreview.com, this is an article by David French. David French, eh, he's, you know, he, he writes some good stuff, and sometimes he writes things I'm like, yeah, I don't know. This article is titled, The NRA Makes a Wise Principled Decision to Support Gun Violence Restraining Orders. That's an interesting name to use. In, it is. In most states, we see these called extreme risk protection orders. And we've reported on these in states where it's come up before. Like I know we've talked about, you know, these proposals in Oregon and in Washington. Um, those are the ones that I remember off the top of my head. But essentially, you know, a standard restraining order, the premise is, you know, I, I go before a judge and I say, hey, judge, um, I'm scared for these reasons. I want a restraining order against this person. Judge says, okay. And, you know, it may or may not lead to a hearing later where, the, where a person could defend themselves and say, oh, this is BS because. But that restraining order doesn't necessarily restrict my constitutional rights, right? It, it, it prevents me from being near an individual within a proximity or on, on, cert, you know, on certain places, uh, which may or may not, you know, really probably does not restrict my, my constitutional rights. Now, the extreme risk protection order concept is that, uh, now, in addition to a normal restraining order, I can petition that court to issue an extreme risk protection order, which, if granted, would empower law enforcement to immediately seize the guns 
of the person against which that that extreme risk protection order is is war is uh, is is issued and that would be there'd be some sort of pending hearing right that maybe it's required within 30 days or 15 days or something depending on the state and the way the law is written and so the the defendant the person whose guns have been seized could come into a court you know and, and say hey you know i don't think that's fair i didn't do anything wrong or they could defend themselves and through due process they could regain their firearms in theory and that that is kind of roughly the premise and so the gun rights people who are against this, the argument has always been, well, that removes the right of due process, right? If, if someone can just show up at my house and take my guns and I've had no chance to defend myself uh, and I won't have a chance to defend myself for a certain number of days or weeks after my, my Second Amendment right has been revoked, then I've been, I've been you know, taken, my, my right to, to the Second Amendment has been revoked without due process uh, for that period of time between when it's seized and the hearing. Now, on the flip side, the, the argument is, well, you know, if we see these people who you know, show signs of violence and they have these issues, then we need to give law enforcement the teeth, right? We need to give them the tools to be able to prevent violence before it happens. And so we want them to be able to make that argument. And I think I'm, I'm definitely on record in our podcast as having been against these extreme risk protection orders in the past. I'm not sure, like the more I think about it, the more I'm kind of sort of don't know what to do about it because like, you know, the fact that the NRA is in favor, I'm like, whatever, I don't, I don't, I don't care what the NRA thinks. I'm, I'm pretty capable of making my own opinions. But I did talk to a friend of mine the other day who's in the FBI. And obviously the conversation came up about the Parkland shooter. And, you know, that this is a person who was being investigated, who had made violent threats. And uh, we didn't, you know, not speaking specifically of the Parkland shooter, but speaking more broadly, my friend who's in the FBI talked about how difficult it is to take action on people who clearly are violent, violent threats, who clearly, you know, are, are, are dangerous and, and capable of committing this violence and how basically the, the, their hands are tied a lot of times in law enforcement to take any action. You know, the, the public cries out and says, well, you know, we knew this, this, and this, and it was reported and it was documented. So why didn't anyone do anything? And, you know, sometimes, sure, maybe there was there was a failure on the part of law enforcement, but you can certainly understand law enforcement saying, well, there was, there was nothing we could do. You know, it's a constitutionally protected right. We can't just show up at someone's house willy-nilly and take away their guns. And so I, I think this, this is the closest we've come to a decent idea to try and solve that problem. Um, I, I don't know that it's it's really good. I mean, a couple other things to consider here. You know, Matthew just wrote in here, it costs money to defend yourself in court and petition to get your firearms right back. And that's true. So now not only am I being removed of due process for a time, but in order for due process to take place, you know, I, I'm going to involve an expense and an inconvenience. There's other issues here too. You know, I'll give you one, but that would be simply that firearm registration is going to be semi-necessary in order for this to take place, right? In order for law enforcement to show up at my home and seize my guns because I've had an extreme risk protection order you know, issued against me, those law enforcement officers would have to know what guns I have. Now, certainly if they have a court order to seize guns and they could search the house and they could search it as thoroughly as necessary to find, you know, anything the size of a gun. But you know, you, you start to run into those issues. Well, what if I hide the gun somewhere else? What if I give it to a neighbor or a friend and say, you know, I, I'm afraid that my ex-wife just turned me in, so will you hold on to this for me for now? It, it's going to be difficult to fully execute these extreme risk protection orders unless there's a very clear registration system in place and we know what ev gun everybody has. 
All right, I've been rambling for a while, Riley, but I guess those are some of the kind of the core things in my brain on, on these, as, as uh, David's calls them, gun violence restraining orders. <laughs> yeah, I think I read the title of the article and then you just like went on a rampage. But uh... Yeah, I, I, was, I was just like ready with that one. It was beaming. It was flowing out of my mouth already. Well, no, but, but we, we, you're right. We have talked about this a number of times. I mean, we've had states uh, pass similar laws. Washington State's done that. I believe Oregon's done that now. I think there's a, a handful of other states that, that have passed or are, have looked at passing similar laws. And it is controversial, and we have certainly talked about it in a way that, hey, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how I feel about this, right? Um, and that's been kind of my sentiment for a long time: is generally not in favor of, because my concern is my number one concern in the, in these types of cases is due process, and my fear is, and, and we've touched on it specifically with I think regards to Washington State's law, uh, that the way it's worded, there, it, it basically removes a lot of uh, it removes due process rights from the process in a lot of ways, it, it, enough to, to a point that it's concerning for me. That is the concern. Like, I don't necessarily have a problem with the concept of an extreme risk protection order, provided that there's a reasonable way uh, that, that, that is in line with due process rights, as also guaranteed by our Constitution, and that it's reasonably easy for a person to go before a judge and and declare their case and you know say hey this is you know this is blown out of proportion or whatever it is so that we are not unnecessarily having people's rights uh, totally trampled on in the sake of uh, you know for the sake of of supposedly stopping bad things from happening. Now I want to stop bad things from happening. This is where it's it is very kind of it's it's an icky issue, right? Because. We talk about the Parkland shooter, Nicholas Cruz. How many times did law enforcement, were they contacted and they went to his house? Dozens of times. And we hear people on all sides of the issue, all sides of the debate. I mean, almost everybody, we are almost all unified as a people in, I mean, in this outrage of how could cops go to his house so many times and not do something about it? It seemed as though law enforcement dropped the ball. And, and I do suspect that there were some areas where they dropped the ball. I mean, when you have somebody tell you that Nicholas Cruz held a gun to his family member's head, like, that's a problem. And I, I guess maybe the reason he didn't get arrested or something didn't happen there is because maybe cops showed up and family members, you know, felt like it was more important to protect you know, this kid or, or whatever. I don't know what the, what the, what the thinking might've been, but to me, that's the only way I can imagine it. It didn't, they didn't do anything. Uh, but even if, even if you got family saying, no, 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 that's not really what happened. But if you got a call as a cop, I mean, like you've really got, I mean, Matthew, I know you're viewing today. I'd be curious to see how you'd handle that kind of situation. You know, but that's a, that's a tricky situation, right? You show up, and, and you've heard this report or you've gotten this call and now nobody's saying anything and there's no evidence. I, I, you know, we have to just understand that in a lot of cases, law enforcement hands are tied. They have to have probable cause to yeah. arrest somebody and, yeah. t- and take him in and probable cause to take his Second Amendment rights away, at least temporarily, which would be part of an arrest. Um, and so we, we all have looked at this Parkland shooting and said, we, we got to 
do something like how could that happen how could he slip through the cracks like this well these extreme risk protection orders is that that certainly would give the uh the the teeth you know for law enforcement to be able to temporarily take guns away from somebody like nicholas cruz now once again we got to be concerned with other constitutional rights in that process. I don't like the fact that they're calling these gun violence restraining orders. I don't like that at all. Uh, I suspect the reason this language is being used is in a way, is, is in a way to sort of try to uh, appeal to the anti-gun crowd to say, hey, look, we're on board with this concept. Uh, we do want strong due process rights to be maintained throughout the process, but we are on board with this concept of having a gun violence restraining order, a very specific, and they actually use that language here, simple and precisely targeted remedy for gun violence. So I suspect that's why they're using this language. I don't like it. I think that's pretty icky <laughs> calling it that. I think extreme risk is extreme risk, regardless if that involves a gun, a knife, or a bomb, or whatever it is, or somebody that just has been shown to be dangerous. And Matthew does comment in here, and, and I suspected he would say this. The evidence has to meet a high standard. Yeah, we know that. It can't be from an ex parte hearing. People don't realize it's not illegal to be crazy. That is true. It would be a scary place if cops could take custody of anyone they thought was crazy without a high bar of proof. You know, and the key here is we're really trying to keep guns away from crazy people. And it's just such a difficult thing to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think the, like my last thought on these extreme risk protection orders would be that the devil's always in the details. We're not talking about federal yeah. legislation. We're talking about state legislation. And so, you know, keep an eye on this. If your state proposes one of these, it's the devil is in the details. It's about how high the bar is being set. It's about what's being done to ensure due process. It's also, here's another little interesting detail that's important. And that is what penalties are involved if someone falsely reports when they are asking for an extreme risk protection order. So if my ex-wife shows up in the court and says, hey, Jacob's dangerous. He did, he made these threats and he did these things. I want this thing issued. And then later I'm able to prove that none of that happened. You know, what, what uh, penalties would she in, incur, right? Which would reduce uh, essentially abuse of the system. So like all of those details become important when we talk about these. Yeah. But what I will say is this is one thing, and I think this is why the NRA is behind it, this is one thing where I look at a proposal and I say, oh, this actually might could help, you know, versus a lot sure. of the other crap that's out there. And so it, it, it meets yeah. that criteria. Number one, I was talking about earlier when I said two things have to happen. One is I actually have to think it could help. And then the second one is that, you know, it, the benefits outweigh the loss in any rights that I as a legal gun owner might have, have, to, have to lose, right? And that yeah. I think is where these details get really important. And I'm glad you mentioned that, by the way, because that is that is important to understand here. I know that this concept is a controversial one, and rightfully so. But the fact is that this proposal actually might, actually, I think, I, I have a strong belief, would stop some gun violence from happening. Now, it may not be that many cases, but I think it would actually have an effect in a few cases and provided that, like you touched on earlier, and it was, it was a beautiful summary that you gave, Jacob, about the need to weigh other rights. You know, when you're talking about trying to do something over here, in the one hand, you've got to look at and weigh that with, with other rights that are in the picture as well. 
And you know, is is this is this more important here? You know, at the cost of of slightly maybe reducing another right somewhere else or something to that extent. So so yeah, once again, we got to look at that. But this is actually something that might affect gun violence in in some way. So interesting things to consider here. I I think I could get on board provided that we have really strong, uh, you know, for instance, and I, I do think that the if you read that article from the National Review uh, with the you know their, the NRA's uh, a position on that, the 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 idea is that it would require a hearing within seventy two hours. And I think that's pretty reasonable. Some of the statutes, I think it was Washington State, you might not get a hearing for like 21 days. I don't like that. Oh, I think some of them have been like 30 days and 60 days. Right, um, right. So, and also like who can petition? You know, like is it, old, is it law enforcement right. officers only that can petition or is it anybody that can petition? Some of them, it, it kind of has a list like only relatives and close neighbors and coworkers. Or, you know, so a lot of those details get, get important too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, you know, feel free to chime in and, and let us know your thoughts on this. Are, is this something that you can get on board with? Do you support this? Do you, are you just totally against this kind of concept? Uh, all things to, to consider here, and we'd love to hear from you. And, of course, you could always contact us at podcast at concealedcarry.com. And uh, that's another way of sharing your thoughts and questions with us as well. So getting now to, uh, I really want to get your input on this story too, Jacob, before, uh, if, you have, if you do have to check, uh, check out here in a few minutes, this is Diane Feinstein. You, you described her as your, as your dear friend. Uh, <laughs> uh, the title here, this is an op-ed on USA Today. Students are right on gun control and Republicans are dangerously wrong, Diane Feinstein says. Uh, boy, there's a lot of things here. Uh, let, me, let me get to, to some of the the meat right off the bat here. So she talks about some problems supposedly with the uh, pro gunner side of things. Um, She says one frequent refrain and we touched on this earlier already, Jacob is that criminals don't follow the law. I I feel like we covered that, that concept pretty well already. Okay. So getting to the, her next point, banning assault weapons won't prevent all shootings. By the way, guys, I know that some of you out there are going to be like, well, these aren't, you know, well, heck I've got one right here. I've got my little AR pistol next to me today. Uh, that would be probably banned under the proposals that, uh, that she is, you know, obviously a supporter of, uh, she is saying, uh, she's referring to this. Yes, this is a semi-automatic AR 15 pistol. I don't think of it as an assault rifle, but that doesn't matter. That's what they think of it as. That's what they're going to classify or define it as regardless of what the rest of us think. So just understand that banning AR-15s won't prevent all shootings, she says, but contrary to Republican talking points, we already know that banning these military-style weapons does reduce mass killings of six people or more. When the original ban was in place from 94 to 2004, the number of such massacres fell by 37% and the number of people dying from them fell by 43%. After the ban expired, the number of gun massacres killing six or more increased by 183% and the number of people dying from them increased by 239%. What do you think of that about that? I think that the devil's in the details once again, right? So, if we went and dug up all of those instances that are being referred to when we talk about the statistics and we actually isolated only the ones in which an AR-15 was used, we'd actually have relevant statistics to discuss the, the question, right? But what happens is inevitably we kind of lump all this stuff together. And, and so if someone takes a Glock handgun 
and they run around with the with a 15 round mag and they kill six or more people that is part of the statistics that are being quoted but it's not relevant to the question uh, so anyway needless to say that yep may there, might there be something to that i don't know because i don't i haven't seen where the, the source of these stats uh, but I, I would question them because clearly they're not isolating just incidents in which the rifle is actually involved. Yeah. So this is one of the things that I struggle with, you know, when we talk about all these uh, uh, gun control, you know, bills that they are proposing, uh, you know, they, they they frequently touch on these statistics, supposed statistics about how effective uh, assault weapons ban uh, is or or whatever, right? And, and the idea is that we would reduce killings or mass shootings or the effectiveness of those mass shootings if we uh, banned, uh, you know, the, the, these classes of weapons. The problem there, though, is, at least as I see it, is we're talking about the, the effectiveness of banning a certain class of weapon and that somehow that's going to reduce overall crime and, and violent crime in particular, right? And that's that's problematic to me because should we not be concerned about all violent crime as opposed to just violent crime that's committed with certain types of weapons yeah that's a very logical like way to to respond to this i'll give you another one and i think this is where people don't really get it that is that anything you do to ban you know any class of weapon is problematic because gun manufacturers can make the guns differently to avoid your classification. Basically, you either have to outlaw all semi-automatic right, guns, or you have to not try and outlaw them at all. Because to try and just outlaw scary black ones is, is impossible. It can't be done. We've seen time and time again, not just from the federal ban from 94 to 2004, but also from state bans in, in places like California and Maryland and Massachusetts, that the inability to define the gun makes it impossible to ban it. And so the only way to truly ban it is to ban all semi-automatics. And now we're getting like them, them's fighting words. <laughs> By the way, we have Matthew uh, jo- joining us now, uh, realizing that Jacob's got to duck out of here. Just like last week where Matthew had to duck out and Jacob, you were able to come in and when, now we're just reversing the process. <laughs> before, before I go though, let me, let me speak to one more Diane-ism. Uh. Okay, so it, this this is I get really frustrated here. Diane gets upset about us arming teachers. What she she needs to remember is that we're not trying to force guns into teachers' hands. We're trying to remove the restriction that prevents teachers who want to be armed from being so. Uh, and so that that that's my first beef. But here here's my favorite part from from Diane. My friend Diane says the following, uh, referring to AR-15s. They fire rounds that are also deadlier than those fired from a hunting rifle. <laughs> yeah, I saw this. Oh a my parkland God. radiologist noted that an AR-15 round may leave an exit wound, quote, the size of an orange, end quote. These weapons are designed to kill people, not animals. So that is the most ludicrous and ridiculous thing I have ever heard. Now, if she wants to say that they're designed to kill people, like, I will straight up say, yeah, well, technically that's true. Like, we did not design ARs to kill animals. I'm perfectly comfortable with the idea that they were designed to kill humans. So are handguns. Um, So I'm good with that. But to call them more deadly or that they leave larger exit wounds is 100% complete ignorance. (laughs) Okay. Any, any hunters out there, any hunters, right? 
anybody out there that knows anything about hunting that hunts big game uh you you know that that's a ridiculous statement you know an exit wound from a 30-06 a 300 winchester magnum a 7mm anybody anybody (laughs) bueller come on guys i mean that's an outright lie from diane feinstein that ar-15 rounds are deadlier than those fired from a hunting rifle and I've, I've heard a lot of these uh, politicians quoting this whole exit wound the size of an orange quote. It's like, that would be a very exceptional exit wound on an AR-15. But more importantly, did you test that against any hunting rifle ever? <laughs> <laughs> like, come on. It's, it's not even comparable. You know, like, it, it's like the difference between getting hit by a, by a pretty good motorcycle versus getting hit by an F-150. Like, that's kind of the kind of difference we're talking about in muzzle velocity and power here. Yep. Well, thanks for your uh, input, Jacob. We'll, we'll let you go now and uh, go do whatever it is that apparently is more important than podcasting. But uh, have a good have one. Also, la vista, boys. <laughs> well, Matthew, welcome, sir. Glad to have you. Uh, glad, to, glad to pop in here. Am I sounding okay? I get everything plugged in right? I, I think so. Uh, yeah, it, it's going to work. So we're, we're glad to have you. Uh, you, have you been following what we've been talking about thus far? Of course, I always listen. <laughs> so uh, I, I want to keep breaking down some of these arguments from uh, Diane Feinstein. All right. Um, now, to my rebuttal to her about uh, these uh, banning assault weapons, you know, she says, "Hey, things." Uh, mass shootings declined during the assault weapons ban between 94 and 2004. And that after that ban expired, it's gone up uh, exponentially. Now I, I'm not going to deny, I might, I might pick at her a little bit as far as her exact numbers or percentages or whatever. Uh, but, but I'm not going to deny that things aren't happening more frequently now than they were, you know, say 20 years ago. Uh, that's certainly a fair statement to make. Uh, however, let's also keep in mind that back, you know, so if you look at 1984 to 1994 and mass shootings that were committed uh, during that time frame, there was not that many either then, okay? Be, even bef- even though during part of those years, 84 to 94, so for about two years of that uh, time frame, you still had fully automatic weapons uh, that were available you know, with proper licensing uh, available to the general public as well. Uh, I think it was 90, 1986 when uh, the uh, uh, Gun Control Act was passed uh, uh, in 86 as well that prohibited essentially uh, new manufactured fully automatics being purchasable by general public. Uh, so anyway, you didn't have that many mass shootings to begin with from 84 to 94. You didn't have that many from 74 to 84. You didn't have any that many from 64 to 74. If we go to all these various uh, 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 time frames, you know, these, these decade long periods, okay, be, before the assault weapons ban, it's not like anything suddenly changed that necessitated. It wasn't like there was any uh, immediate emergency that had to happen uh, as far as getting the assault weapons ban of 94 passed. Okay. Now they obviously felt like there was something there. And so the Democrats had control of the house and Senate and 
of the White House, and they got that pushed through. And, and, and so we ended up with, all, with the assault weapons ban. My point is, is there wasn't that many to begin with. And you can certainly see in a 10-year period enough flu- natural fluctuation in mass shootings to claim all sorts of things. But let's not forget that during this supposed awesome assault weapons ban that we had from 94 to 2004 that was so effective that it didn't prevent things like Jonesboro or Columbine from happening. And yeah, so like I I don't care about these statistics she pulls out because you can say all kinds of things based on the, the, you know, a variety of numbers. The fact is, there's not, there's very little correlation between gun control that was passed in the 90s and any sort of mass shooting or crime reduction. Okay, it, it's been for a lot of years now that crime, violent crime has been reducing, has been going down, right? Even after the assault weapons ban expired in 2004, we still see a reduction overall of violent crime committed even with guns. Now, is the U.S. a higher, you know, proportionally, you know, as far as um, do we have a lot more gun homicides than other nations in the world? Yeah, we do. That's a, that's a reality. Okay. But violent crime and homicides in general are not all that different when we look at, I mean, that's what I was trying to get out a moment ago with Jacob was we should be concerned about homicide in general. Exactly. Right? Who cares what is used to commit that homicide? Homicide is homicide, and homicide will continue to happen. Okay? So, anyway, I, I was going on there for a bit. I, I saw you actually had to uh, – folks watching on Facebook couldn't see this, but Matthew had to step away for a minute. So, then I, I wasn't going to uh, monologue for, for a long time there, but, but I was covering for you, buddy. <laughs> oh, thanks. I had, a, I had a run. I had a – Something to attend to. So, <laughs> so yeah, here's here. I want to ask you this question, Jacob or Matthew. Sorry, I've been talking to Jacob for the last <laughs> hour. Um, she says the only way to stop. She's she's saying that this is also a falsehood. Okay, uh-huh. that we per- perpetuate this idea that a, the only way to stop a bad guy with a good guy or with a gun is a good guy with a gun. She says, tell that to the 49 people killed in Orlando at the Pulse nightclub where an armed guard was on duty and was unable to prevent the murders. What do you say to that? How do you counter Dianne Feinstein? Yeah, well, that's totally bogus. Um, if, if you follow what happened there uh, at the Pulse nightclub, um, yeah, there were, there were a lot of deaths uh, associated to that. 49 people, I think. Yep. Um, but the, the armed security guard actually engaged the shooter which caused him to stop firing, um, which, pro, you know, uh, put a pause on what he, the, the, the extra um, carnage that he was able to do. So um, he actually, you know, he didn't stop him from killing the 49 people prior to that, but it could have been much higher had he not been there to intervene as quickly. And the only response would have been from the police. Um, so it, it, these these arguments are so bogus because they they don't understand they they, they um, go against all common sense that if you yeah. have someone there that can respond I mean if, if think of it this way why do police roll 
lights and sirens to a, to a hot call? Why do, why do ambulances go very quickly to a call? Because each moment that goes by, if that person's injured, if that person's, you know, dying, um, it, it lessens the likelihood of their, them surviving. It, police rushing to the scene of a, you know, of a shooting. Why do they do that? Because each moment that passes by, <laughs> there's more people that could possibly die. So how can, how can having somebody there instantaneously that can address the threat, how, how can you not look at that and say, yeah, absolutely. Like that would definitely be able to stop the threat. We see it all the time. The, the problem is that all the incidents that were stopped by people, a resource officer that got there before it became a mass shooting, right? So they don't get, they don't get um, news coverage as a mass shooting because it didn't occur because somebody was there to stop it. Um, yep. So, but you don't, they, they don't look at that as, you know, oh, wow, good thing that that person was there. They just say, oh, well, you know, it was, it was a guy with a gun and he, people shouldn't have guns. They don't look at it and say, yep. people have guns. How are we going to stop them from killing 49 people? Um, yep. So, so here's the thing, right? Like the one important thing to understand about this argument that she's, you know, that she's putting on, that she's suggesting that the good guy with a gun stopping a bad, bad guy with a gun is a myth. She's suggesting that's a myth. Um, but how, I mean, that's not, anywhere close to the truth at all. But part of understanding this argument is understanding that, and we talk about this on the podcast, just because you carry a gun does not mean you have this automatic force field around you that all bad things will be repelled and that you will, you're automatically guaranteed to win in any sort of deadly threat, you know, scenario that you might face, right? So just like having an armed uh, school resource officer, an armed police officer, an armed security guard at a school or a some other place of business, a nightclub, wh- whatever it is, just like having those guys there, is it's, it's not a guarantee that they can actually stop that bad thing from happening. But does it give them a chance to stop it? Absolutely. And that's important. Like we have to have chances. What what the alternative here is that Feinstein is suggesting that 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 sort of thing is a myth. Thus, we shouldn't do anything that might encourage it. Thus, we take away any possibility or opportunity that we might be able to have somebody there with a gun to stop something bad from happening. How about today? This is why today is so coincidental. We have this shooting in Maryland at a high school there at the Green Mills High School. Excuse me, in Southern Maryland, where it is stopped by a school by an armed school resource officer. Good guy with a gun stopped a bad guy with a gun. How about Stephen Williford in Texas, Sutherland Springs, Texas? Right, mm-hmm. he runs to a safe, grabs his AR, is loading rounds into his magazine as he's running in flip flops or bare feet to count to 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 stop this guy. Does he stop the guy? Yeah. He discourages him from continuing to perpetuate madness and insanity. And the dude is forced to run off. And in a high speed chase, it, it, it is, it it ends with the death of the gunman, right? We share stories on a weekly basis where we have several that we still have to get to in today's episode where good guys with guns stop bad guys with guns on a daily basis. We share weekly stories 
but there are so many, they happen every day. There's so many, we have to cull those stories down to just a couple that we can fit into the podcast each week. Good yeah. guys with guns, stop bad guys with guns all the stinking time. And you know what, Riley? Option. Exactly. And, and you know, the, the crazy thing is, Riley, is that um, if you think if you think back to that Sutherland Springs incident and Stephen Williford, and yep. when when the news came out that it was he used an AR-15 to stop stop the shooter, do you remember? I think I don't want to say it. It, it might have been Schumer. Somebody came out and said, "Well, he shouldn't have even had that gun to begin with." Talking about Williford, yeah, that was and, uh, uh, wasn't that. Uh... Joe Biden that said that maybe it was he he was I mean Biden said crank off some shotgun rounds indiscriminately in the air that's <laughs> that's how you protect yourself but it might have been him it makes sense but Biden, said Biden is an advocate of warning shots yeah yeah which we have a justified story today that that mm-hmm. we'll, we'll talk about that indiscriminate shots into the air that's that's <laughs> what he said. but anyways um, but yeah so if you look at how the media portrayed that incident they didn't portray it as wow. You know, there, there are legitimate uses. This was, a, they portrayed it as, well, he shouldn't have had that gun anyways. He didn't actually stop anything because the, the shooter was on his way out. Well, you know what? I guarantee you, or I can't guarantee, but that somebody who's that deranged and wants to kill people is going to kill more. Or he could have gotten in a shot, shootout with the police. Maybe a police officer gets killed trying to take him into custody or something. The fact is, is that Stephen Wilford was there to engage that guy and disrupt him for from doing whatever he wanted to do later down the road, and so yep. um, and, and so you know, it, the way it's covered is pretty telling, um, and so that's why people think that guns are never used to protect people because it's it's always spun in a, in a negative way, even when they are used. So. Yep. Oh, we could go on all day about this, um, but I just felt like I really had to that to hit on this. You know, the the falsehoods that are per- perpetuated. I mean, she talks about how it is us on the pro gun side that are wrong about our arguments. You know, for gun rights, when she perpetuates all kinds of silliness and lies, just outright lies. Uh, talking about once again, she she touches on the importance that we ban high capacity magazines. So anything greater, and, and that means in their world, anything more than ten rounds. When the Parkland shooter that this just you know this whole debate just got reignited, you know because of him, uh, he used nothing greater than ten round mags, right? So like once again, the insanity here, um, the fact that she quotes statistics that they are not true statistics. I could tell you that. Um, I don't have time. I've got some stories pulled up here and some numbers I could, we could go down a whole other rabbit hole, but we're not going to do that today. We got to move along. Now, Matthew, I, I was tempted to s- skip this story. I am, I am going to skip uh, the, the fall or kind of the, the, re- the related story to it. Uh, but, but I know you wanted to talk about this. So let's just touch on it really briefly. Um, in, in, in New Jersey, this is reported on NJ.com. High school student suspension over gun range photo ignites uproar potential lawsuit. Okay, so here's the story, guys. A New Jersey school district allegedly suspended two high school students this week over a gun photo taken during a family visit to a private shooting range 
And that school district is now facing community backlash and the threat of a lawsuit over district policies. The photo of four rifles, magazines, and a gun duffel bag was shared by one of the students on, a so, on, the, so, on the social media app, Snapchat, with the caption, Fun Day at the Range, according to Lacey Township resident Amanda Buron, a family friend of one of the students. A screen capture of the image made the rounds among other students and later brought to the attention of Lacey Township's, uh, Township High School officials. Amanda Buron said that the students re- received a five-day in-school suspension for violating the school's policy on weapons possession. What the crap, Matthew? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, it's, this is why like, I just thought it was completely ridiculous. I, this, this is a fan. This is indoctrination of, of, of such blatant um, blatancy that it, it's crazy to think that, that this kind of policy would even be allowed. I mean, just, just think about the school board or the school putting in uh, the school board, putting in a policy that controls what you can do with your kids in outside of school with with your own, I mean, with on your own time at a private uh, property. I mean, this is with your family. Yeah, exactly. I mean, where, where do where do um, school boards get the right to to determine what parents can do with their children? I mean, this it's, it's insane. Right, right. Speaking of which, by the way, this was another uh, point that Diane Feinstein uh, said in her article, and she said, "Why would we want to give teachers that already have so much on their plate? Why would we want to add the additional responsibility of having to carry a gun to defend uh, students or themselves with?" And I'm thinking, wait a minute, because and I, I'm bringing this back up, by the way, Matthew, because you just said something that reminded me of that. You said, "Why would school districts have the right to tell?" parents what to do with their, you know, how, how to raise their kids. And the key is outside of school in particular. Now, I understand that when I send my child to school, the school is responsible for them at that point. The school has rules. The school may discipline them. I have handed my kids off to a school administrator, a school board, a teacher, whatever, that hopefully I trust to impart upon my student, my, my child, Education and knowledge and truth, right? And can they have rules at that school? Yeah, because if I don't like those rules, then I have the right to take my child somewhere else or maybe homeschool them, right? Back to Diane Feinstein saying we shouldn't be arming teachers because they already have enough else on their plate. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, Matthew, teachers have the right to keep my child safe, I think, while they're there at school. Yeah. So... It, don't, do they not already have that responsibility to defend my child? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if a, if somebody came in there, let's say they don't have a gun, let's say they have a knife, or let's say there's just somebody that's beating a, a physically stronger kid is beating up a, a weaker kid, but they're, they're, they have too much on their plate. So God forbid that they would, you know, stop that from happening. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's just silly. And, and, and it does, it fails to understand this or, or recognize the simple um, the, the simple understanding that everybody deserves the right to, um, to protect themselves, everybody, no matter who they are or where they are. If they're a teacher, we're not, you know, you, you nailed it. We're not 
telling teachers you have to be armed, but if you want to be armed, well, you should be able to protect yourself, whether you're a teacher, a doctor, uh, a lawyer, whatever you are, a construction worker, it, it doesn't matter. It's a, it's a, it's a simple fundamental right. Right. But for them to apparently think they have the right to tell my kids they can't go out with their families after school or on a weekend and shoot guns. That's, I mean, okay. So anyway, we just wanted to mention it, guys. This world is insane at times, and there are places that are just crazy where it comes to our Second Amendment rights. I mean, keep in mind, we are talking about the Second Amendment, an integral part of our Constitution and this document that founded, it's the basis and the foundation of our country, and we treat guns as though they're this terrible, terrible thing. It's amazing. Let's, let's jump now to our first justified save story. Uh, but real quick, uh, I, w- I did want to mention, just for your benefit, Matthew, that one of the stories I just skipped over was a- another school where a student was being disciplined because they were making they were doing something with, they were, they were twirling their pencil or pen or something and making some like gun-like sounds or noises or something. And suddenly they, they were suspended or whatever as well. So just insanity out there. Okay. And then Brian, who is viewing on, on Facebook uh, live today, he said, then there is the story that the school walkout was staged and some students got suspended for not walking out. Now there was a student, the, the, the story where one student that we are aware of, was suspended because they failed to comply with, uh, you know, the, the instructions that were given that, you know, there were students that were walking out of the school as part of the, the national walkout day on March 14th. There were other students that chose not to participate in that. And for those that were not participating, they were told to assemble in the commons area of the school that they were, you know, they wanted to have everybody, you know, either in the commons or they were participating in the walkout. Well, this student felt like, by by not walking out, it, it, well, it, it, he didn't support the walkout, okay, and he didn't want to be lumped into the necessarily the the pro gun crowd, okay, and so he he just wanted to be neutral, and so he he felt like though that by going to the commons area where the non walkouters w- would be assembling that that he would be lumped in with that group, he didn't want to associate with anybody, he just wanted to be neutral. He was suspended for not listening to instructions. Insanity. Okay. All right. First justified save this week. Here's our first save. Aurora, Colorado. Good Samaritan shoots robbery suspect at grocery store. This is quite a complex story here. So let's run through this real quick. Aurora police, and that's near where, I mean, this is the greater Denver metropolitan area. Aurora is a suburb sort of 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 Denver. Okay on the southeast side. I live on the opposite side of town from from where this occurred. Aurora police say a good Samaritan shot a man who shot a woman. Okay, so let's back up. Police say a good Samaritan shot a man who shot a woman during a robbery at a grocery store Friday afternoon. It happened just after 2 p.m. at the Village East grocery store located at 1161 South Peoria Street. I know exactly where that is, which is kind of crazy. When officers arrived, they found a woman with a gunshot wound in the parking lot. She is believed to be the owner of the store. She was hospitalized in serious but stable condition. 
A short time later, officers made contact with an adult male who was suffering from a gunshot wound in the area of South Joliet Street and East Garden Drive. Officers believed the male was the robbery and shooting suspect who had fled from the area of the grocery store. The man was placed in custody and rushed to the hospital. During the investigation, they determined that the Good Samaritan confronted the robbery suspect outside of the grocery store and the Good Samaritan shot the suspect. CBS4 photojournalist Mark Natro uh, captured photos of the cash register on the floor of the store. And this, and it's true, there's some really uh, compelling photos here. Multiple bullet holes in a nearby car. You see a couple penetrating that looks like the trunk and then several that went into the rear window of, the, of a vehicle. Pretty intense story here. Once, Once again, again, Matthew, <laughs> we have Diane Feinstein telling us, good guys with guns don't stop and can't stop bad guys with guns. Yeah, we have a bad guy that shot a female store owner and a good Samaritan somewhere in the area that intervened and maybe kept things from being worse than they were. Yeah, I mean, it, it, this is an interesting one because the, the good Samaritan actually takes off and we don't know who he is. Um, we can't give him his, his medal, but anyways, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he stops, uh, who knows what would have happened if, if this woman, uh, would have been shot another time, who knows? Uh, we don't know the whole story, but what we do know and what we can get from it is that somebody intervened on the behalf of this woman who was being shot or robbed. And, uh, and that person was no longer able to carry on whatever they were going to do, beat her, rob her, uh, hurt her. So, um, yeah. And obviously, you know, I, I guess we should add the caveat in there that if you are, if you do shoot somebody, <laughs> you probably want to stick around the scene. Um, is probably the best. So. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I'm not, the fact is it just doesn't say what happened to the good Samaritan here. They don't say anything about him at all. Right. So maybe he did stick around, but maybe he didn't. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's, it always is, it would be helpful to stick around. I mean, if they have video of him getting in a vehicle and leaving, and now they got to track him down and find out the story and his involvement, it can complicate things. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he might have had reason to, to take off. Maybe he was a good Samaritan, but he used to not be a good Samaritan. Maybe, you know, yeah. whatever. But um, here's the thing, though. If you use deadly force, you better stick around. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, you, there are certain statutes that you might very well be in violation of by, by taking off from a scene like this. And so, yeah, you, you may have done the right thing, but ultimately by leaving the scene, unless it was necessary for to preserve your own safety, then you better stick around. Well, anyway, crazy story. And I, I I love the fact, I mean, a lot of, a lot of times the stories that we share are good guys that defend themselves or maybe their family or their household or whatever. Right. Uh, It's not that often that we have third parties that just totally step in out of nowhere. They just can't, they just come from nowhere and they, you know, they're just sticking up for their neighbors. Sometimes people that they don't even know. Uh, and it's great. I mean, that's, this is what, it, this is what the right of self-defense and the fact that we live where we live and have the ability to do so and carry a gun for our own personal protection. I mean, this is what it's all about. Next story is on a website I'm not familiar with channel 3000.com. Apparently this is a, some sort of news affiliate in Madison, Wisconsin. 
town of Delton, Wisconsin, South County uh, officials responded to a to a shots fired incident early Saturday morning in the area of Fox Hill Court in the town of Delton, according to a press release. The release said a homeowner reported to the communications center, 911 in other words, that a male suspect had attempted to forcibly enter his home. The homeowner responded by discharging a firearm and told communications that he may have shot the suspect. The suspect, Richard John Zarfinski, age 41 of Madison, was staying in a nearby residence. This is kind of a, another one of those stories that gets a little bit weird, right? <laughs> Where he had lacerated his hand he apparently then left that residence uh, through a window and traveled to the caller's nearby home. The caller spotted Sarfinsky on the rear deck of his home where he attempted to enter the home. The caller armed himself and confronted the suspect. According to the release, the caller told communications that he fired the handgun to send quote unquote warning shots, causing Sarfinsky to flee the area. Officials later determined that blood at the caller's residence was a result of the initial laceration not the gunshot. A neighbor then found Zarfinski rummaging through a vehicle at his residence and brought him to officials. It does appear that the suspect was under the influence of a controlled substance and he was treated for his hand injury. He had an outstanding felony arrest warrant with criminal charges relating to this incident yet to be determined. So we have a homeowner that for whatever reason, this dude from a neighboring house cuts himself, decides to try to force his way into this neighbor's home. The home, the, you know, the homeowner that's involved in this incident, this guy tries to come into his home. The homeowner supposedly fires shots towards him. I don't know. He, he <laughs> described them as warning shots. At the same time, he told 911 that he may have hit the suspect. Yeah. What, what's your take yeah. on this, Matthew? Yeah. I'm just going to state the obvious. Anytime a story involves a tweaker, it's going to be weird and complex. All right, let's get that. So, so that's, I'm sure that's had a big, big uh, impact on this story. But yeah, so I mean, obviously, we should probably address the, uh, the warning shots. You know, obviously, just on face value, uh, based off the story, totally justified in doing what he did, right? I mean, um, not a problem there. Um, but the warning shots, the techniques of using the warning shots, um, very problematic. <laughs> bad idea. Always, always a bad idea. You, every time you fire around, it should be at a specific target. And if you're not shooting at that target or that threat, you shouldn't be shooting at all. Um, warning shots, you, you don't know where this is going to go. Sure, you, he might have been shooting in the ground and said, hey, it's probably not going to go. Who knows? I mean, uh, it's just, it's not the best uh, technique. And Think of this, and this is just something that popped in my head um, in this specific scenario. So say this guy justifies what he did, shooting the warning shots by saying, hey, I shot him into the ground, and I didn't think, you know, I knew that it couldn't ricochet, it wasn't going to leave my property. Okay, fine. You didn't endanger anybody else. But what's the capacity of the firearm that you're using? Let's say, it's, you know, you have a 15-round magazine. You start shooting two or three shots into the ground as a warning shots. And this dude who's tweaked out of his mind, he doesn't care, right? So now you're, you're limiting the amount of rounds that you might have to stop this dude from potentially killing you. So on, on multiple re, for multiple reasons, warning shots are not good. Yeah. It, just don't do it. 
Okay, we've, we've covered this, I don't know how many times on the podcast. Clearly, these people are not listening to the podcast. <laughs> they would otherwise know. Don't ever. Like, I'm, I'm serious. I mean, can we find an exception to just about anything? Probably. But I'm going to just say, don't ever fire warning shots, period. If you're within the sound of my voice hearing this, you better know better. You better not. If I find out any of you out there fire warning shots for some ridiculous reason, unless it's a shotgun blast with, sh- with birdshot into the air, because, you know, it's a shotgun, it's birdshot, and it's probably not going to come down and hurt anybody. And, and, and you're only following, you know, our good friend Joe Biden's, you know, recommendations anyway. That, I go, okay, there, there's your exception, Matthew. <laughs> nope, nope, don't do it, because discharging a weapon uh, constitutes, it's just, it, you're using a deadly you're using deadly force. You are using a deadly weapon. It needs to be treated with substantial uh, 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 seriousness. You've got to be responsible with it. It is not a device for frightening or scaring away or getting the attention of people. It's not what it's for. We have other things to do that. Okay. Um, It's just a terrible, terrible, terrible idea. Okay. So, so anyway, you, there, there's no excuse for anyone participating in today's podcast for not knowing that just don't use or shoot warning shots. A <laughs> um, couple other things that I, I took away from this story uh, was you're, you're absolutely right, Matthew, in that I mean, we're, we're dealing with apparently a tweaker, <laughs> you know, a hyped up, drugged out individual who you, you, they do not act or respond rationally in a lot of instances. That's just the reality. It's a reality you've got to be prepared for. Okay, know that, understand that, um, and because of that, th- this idea of firing warning shots may not deter them because they're tweaked out. They're tweaking, man. So you know, if I mean, we have no idea what's going through those brains when they are on on those types of under those types of influences right i mean this guy may have been thinking oh shoot i cut i cut myself i got to get to the hospital and he he may have thought the neighbor's house was the hospital uh-huh. i mean that's how crazy these people can be well hey wait a minute this this door to the hospital is locked i can't get in i better force my way in i'm bleeding to death whatever you know and oh it's just crazy <laughs> all right um, let's get on to the next story here. And this one is out of uh, Arizona, Avondale, Arizona. Police say, and this is abc15.com. Police say a woman escaped her boyfriend after he assaulted and kidnapped her in Avondale earlier this month. Avondale police report that on March 6th, they were contacted by a woman who was hiding at a motel after her boyfriend, 24-year-old Jose Adrian Quintana, assaulted choked and hit her with a handgun. The fight stemmed from accusations of infidelity and Quintana allegedly refused to allow the victim to leave court documents said at one point Quintana allegedly forced the woman at gunpoint to drive him around Avondale and Phoenix before getting out of the car. Uh, The woman told officers the suspect broke her phone during the assault. The next day, the victim returned to her home with one of her kids to get a few personal items because she planned to stay with family. Probably a wise idea considering the circumstances. However, in this situation, the woman while walking up to the home, she saw 
the ex-boyfriend Quintana allegedly he appeared from the it says he, he appeared from be, uh, from around the back of the house and ordered her to go inside she refused and requested that she be allowed to drop off the child at her parents house before going inside according to court documents the man went with the woman to drop off the child and threatened to kill everyone if she tried to get out of the car this is pretty intense when the child heard this and began to cry Quintana turned to talk to the child when his back was turned, the victim grabbed his gun and got out of the car. After the woman got a hold of his gun, the suspect got out of the car and ran away while the victim shot at him three times, hitting him twice in the left leg. He left the scene but was located by police officers a short time later. While talking to investigators, Quintana de- denied seeing the victim before officers explained he may have been caught on surveillance video while he forced her to drive against her will through multiple cities. Yeah, it's true. Uh-huh. Man admitted to seeing the victim but denied assaulting her. He's facing multiple charges, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so here we have, and we have these from time to time, these domestic violence uh, situations. And now, unfortunately, she didn't have her own gun or her, her own means of being able to defend herself, which she certainly would have been justified in doing so in several of these co- different contacts that she had with this man. Uh, she ultimately had to take things into her own hands, though, and disarm him so she could actually uh, extricate herself and her child from the situation. Really intense story, uh, and I'm I'm really glad it worked out the way it did. Yeah, I mean, this when I was looking this for uh, trying to find some stories and trying to weed out which ones to, to take out, I saw this one. I was like, we got to keep it in because it is so complex. But if you think about it. It really underscores everything that we always talk about. Um, you know, domestic violence issues go back and forth. And I, I, I would guess that this, this guy, Quintana or whatever his name was, um, probably wasn't legally in possession of that firearm. Right. I'm guessing if, you know, they, he was arrested for domestic violence in the past or anything, had a criminal history, he probably was possessing that firearm illegally. So you know, it, it brings up the, the obvious is that if you, pro, if you prohibited, let's say his, his uh, ex-wife or ex-girlfriend from having a firearm um, mm-hmm. and you prohibit him from having a firearm, he wants to commit a crime against her. He's going to get a firearm and commit a crime against her. And now she doesn't have a firearm. If this, what if this woman happened to be, I don't know, say 20 years old and all these gun bans that, you know, or all these proposals that if you're not 21, you can't, you don't deserve to own a firearm. 21, 20 year olds live by themselves all the time. They have kids, they have jobs, they have cars, they vote, they do all kinds of stuff, except I guess be able to defend themselves against somebody who, this is the evil that is out there, folks. I mean, this, this is not some, you know, offshoot of you know one guy this evil exists and this dude is evil um anyone that's going to expose a a child to that kind of thing and and kidnap somebody and do that they're not right and um and if they have a firearm the only way you're going to stop them is to have a firearm and you can see it right there as soon as he lost that firearm it was over right if he would have kept control of that firearm who knows what would have happened, but the fact that she was able to get the firearm away from him. So the, the firearm is always that, that balance that 
that equalizer that we talk about. I mean, it, it, in this example, it's it's evident. You know, he was a he was a bad you know bad mama jamma. He was handling business as soon as he had you know when he had that gun. As soon as it was gone, he's out of there. And so um, guns can guns can save people's lives as well. And I, I think you know if if you don't understand that, just look at this. This scenario. I mean, yeah. it's, it's crystal clear. We actually don't know what what age she is. She could have been twenty four. All we know, mm-hmm. uh, it, it states the age of the suspect, but but not her. So, um, yeah, what you suggested is a that's certainly a possibility in this story. It, it could have happened that way. I, I don't know that she was that young. Who knows? But she could have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So. There you go. Another save yet uh, because of someone that was able to use uh, justified force. Now, it did say she, was, she fired at him as he ran away. Um, I do think that probably in most cases, a prosecutor looking at the circumstances and understanding the, si- the situation that she was in, the fear that she felt from this guy, uh, I, I think they'd probably let something like that slide, you know? I yeah, mean, totally. Bad guy ah. is running away and, and, and she fires a couple shots at him. But if, I mean, you have to understand that this guy already showed that he was capable and willing to return, to come back again and again and continue to hurt her. That's where yeah. there's probably some reasonable amount of force here, even though she shot him as he ran away. Yeah, the history between these two, you know, I'm sure domestic violence at this level isn't like the first time, you know, this is something that's been going on. This dude is uh, not a very nice dude. And I'm sure the backstory the two days of being driven around at gunpoint and all this stuff, that's going to put her in a heightened state of fear, even. Um, and I think anybody could find it reasonable that she shot at this guy thinking, Hey, if, 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 if I don't stop him or shoot this gun, he's going to come back and he's going to kill me. He's going to get the gun from me and kill me. So, yeah. I, you know, luckily she didn't hit anybody else, you know, just firing indiscriminately. She hit a moving target. So, Hit him twice out of three times. <laughs> Better than some cops, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, final justified save. AJC.com reports, father shoots, kills intruder to protect kids, police say. No charges filed. Another kind of crazy story. This has got some interesting details in it. A father home with his two children wrestled with a masked intruder, grabbed a gun, and shot him to death early Thursday. This was in DeKalb County, uh, uh, Georgia. About 12.20 a.m., three people broke into the man's Covington Glen apartment. They had handguns, Lieutenant Rod Bryant, uh, what the uh, county police said. They started shooting at him. The man retrieved his own gun and fired back at the intruders. They continued to exchange rounds, and the shootout spilled outside. The masked intruder was found dead in the parking lot. He had on a pair of gloves. The other two intruders got away. One of them believed to be about five foot eleven in his mid twenties, wearing a dark hoodie at the time. No description was given for the other intruder who got away. It's unknown if anyone else was hit. We don't have any evidence of that yet, but you never know. Now get this: two other adults and the man's son and daughter, ages eight and nine, were in their rooms during the shootout. At one point, one of them looked outside the room and saw the intruders fighting with the man and tried to call nine one one. I don't think it was a random incident. Uh, Lieutenant Bryant said officials have not specified why they believe that's the case. The father was interviewed at police headquarters and will not face charges for now. It is an ongoing investigation, but the the shooting appears to be justified. Wow. 
you know, this um, is, it's always scary. I mean, when I, I, I read stories like this and I immediately put myself in the position of I've got kids. I've got, in fact, I've got, I've got four kids. I've got two that are very close to these two kids ages. And I mean, that just, that just scares the heck out of me, you know? So yeah. What's your take on this one? Yeah. I, I wish, you know, sometimes when I'm reading these stories, I wish I could call these people and interview them because there's so much stuff that's missing that we could, we could learn so much about these things. Like, you know, where it says he ran and got his gun. Well, where was his gun staged? Like, was it in a safe? Was it, what kind of safe did he have? Um, what kind of gun was it? All kind all these types of things, um, you know, are so important to understanding, um, you know, the whole scenario of how these things take place, you know, the, the reality of guys kicking in your door and, and fighting with these guys. I mean, this guy's fighting three dudes off um, that have firearms. He's able to retrieve his, you know, that is, there's a lot that goes into that. And I think um, sometimes we overlook, you know, the, the dynamics of the situation um, because we get such a cursory cursory facts, you know, this is what happened. He shot in this, you know, and, and there's a lot of uh, space missing, but, um, but yeah, it, it, the fact that they said it's probably not random, uh, maybe it leads me to believe that this dude maybe, you know, was a criminal himself or something. And this is some sort of uh, maybe some drug thing or, or you know, but, um, but it shows you that, you know, I, I think importantly that, no matter what the odds are, no matter, you know, the odds are stacked against this guy, he's got three dudes, you know, and he doesn't have a firearm. They do. Don't give up. Always, always understand that, you know, it, you can do so much if you put your mind to it and, and refuse to, to submit. And, uh, and this guy fought through it physically. He got his firearm and that turned the tables and allowed him to, you know, get these dudes out of his house and, and, and not harm his family. So once again, the gun is the great equalizer. It equalizes this guy um, and allows him to, to get these three people, armed people out of his house. And, and so, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I, again, I wish I could interview and ask some more questions, but, but yeah, I, I this story was, was a good one for me. Yep. So I'm reminded of the interview I did with uh, uh, Jake Jackson uh, from, uh, was it uh, Tier 3 Tactical? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm looking up what episode that was so I can point people back to that. Uh, and the reason I'm thinking about that is because one of the, his big takeaways, you know, he had looked at all these uh, different scenarios, right? And he analyzed, you know, like what are some of the big takeaways from – all these various shootings and self-defense cases, uh, typically in, in, in many cases, they involved civilians, but a lot of times they were police involved as well because what he was looking at primarily was uh, uh, footage, you know? And so usually you either only have surveillance video or you have certainly a lot of dash cam and body cam video of officers that are involved. But what he was trying to look at was, uh, was what are some of the, you know, what, what, what's the reality of what people are likely to see? Okay. And one of the big things that came out of that was the likelihood there's more than one suspect involved. Okay. And that's one of my big 
premises as to why I believe in, in carrying as much capacity as you can as far as a self-defense weapon is not because I necessarily expect, I mean, I, I'm ready to do so if I have to, but not because I necessarily expect to have to expend 10 or 15 rounds on a single suspect, but because in a lot of cases, more often than you would probably realize, there are multiple people involved that are trying to hurt you. And typically at least one of the justified save stories that we feature each week in the podcast, usually at least one of them talks about multiple suspects, especially in home invasion uh, cases. Yeah, absolutely. Involve multiple people, especially when they know when, when, when that, when that home invader is or intruder is planning on probably bumping into people, he's not, he's not likely to go in there alone. He's going to go in with a couple of people. They're going to be ready to do whatever it takes to, you know, to take, to grab, to take, to, you know, get whatever it is they went into that house to get. And so uh, there's a high probability in a lot of these cases that there's more than one person. And so be thinking about this as it relates to this story, because this is a great story. Be thinking about how you're staging your self-defense tools at night. How are you staging things? Are they ready to go? And I am not an advocate of just having your handgun sitting on the nightstand. Okay. So have things staged and staged properly. I have a quick access safe. I can access it within about a second and a half. I can have my gun in my hand uh, and it's staged and ready to go. It's in there loaded weapon mounted light. I keep, and I've, I talk about this all the time. I have a, a secondary flashlight in there. Okay. Cause I'm not going to, I just saw on Facebook today, somebody was asking about, um, you know, I'm planning on getting a weapon mounted light on my, on my Glock pistol. And, you know, so what are your guys' thoughts about that? And, and should I be concerned about, you know, shining my weapon mounted light around as I'm doing whatever in my house? Yeah, you should. <laughs> right. You, you only use that weapon mounted light when you're, you have a pretty good reason to believe that there's a threat that you're about to encounter and you need to illuminate them so you can see them, identify what's going on. And then if necessary, shoot them. So have a secondary, you know, here's, here's, here's one right here. I've got one on this desk. I've got one right here in my pocket that I just dropped, you know, but I've got, you know, this is my everyday carry little light right here. Very friendly for the pocket. Point is, is, I've got multiple lights in different places, guns staged in different places, and things are staged very intentionally. A lot of times when I'm, and I've already showed this already in the episode today, there are times I've got things like that, like my little AR. I'm, I'm sitting here at the desk. I'm working away. If I have a home invasion occur right now while I'm sitting at home working, well, this is what I have staged to respond to that situation. Yes. Do I have a gun on my person as well? I do, but that one's far more effective. So take from this story, be thinking about how you're staging your self-defense tools. And yes, I'm using the term, not just your gun, but your self-defense tools. Cause it's all those things, those lights, your knives, your guns, and what condition they're in so that they actually can be used immediately, effectively, as you need them to. You don't want to be in that situation where you've got to grab the gun, you know, insert a mag, rack around in the chamber, and now you can use it. Sorry, that's, that's not the world I live in. If somebody breaks into my home at 3 a.m., I have four kids and a wife I have to defend. And by golly, I, don't want, I want as few things in my way of being able to, to respond to that incident as possible. So all I have to do is enter in a quick little code. It takes me I've done it 
thousands of times accessing my quick access safe and bam, I'm in that sucker. The gun is in my hand. A flashlight is in my, in my other hand. I'm ready to go. Yeah, anyway. I mean, it's, it's important. And um, that's why I brought up this, the whole, like wanting to ask this guy, what kind of gun, where was it staged? How does he hold it because, or uh, store it? Because, you know, for, for people that might have uh, a ranch house, it's spread out, you know, you have to have firearms that you're, uh, you can access wherever you are. If you have multiple levels, you have to have a, a, a firearm on each level. Um, yep. You know, if anyone's like me, I, I end up sleeping on the couch a lot. So, um, <laughs> you know, I have that, that gun safe that's by my, my, by my uh, pillow or, you know, on my side of the bed. But uh, if I end up sleeping on the couch, I'm not near that thing. So I need to have uh, other guns stored, right? <laughs> Good stuff, man. <laughs> Hey, hey, folks, we appreciate all those of you that have been joining us on the podcast. It's been a long episode today, so much content to cover, and we had to eliminate a lot of stuff. There's a lot going on right now in our industry. We didn't even get into some of the state issues that are abounding right now in a variety of states. Illinois is looking at some gun control stuff. Uh, there, there, there's stuff being proposed all over the place. Colorado here, there's more things being proposed. I mean, there are anti-gun proposals left and right. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of self-defense stories that we're all, we already, already touched on that earlier. Uh, it's just, there's just so much going on and we're not even talking about new guns or products a lot because we're kind of in a, in a, during a quiet time. We talked about that dual barreled AR earlier in the episode today, um, but we are getting closer to the USCCA Expo. We're getting closer to the NRA annual meetings. We expect some new products and, and guns and things being announced at some of those events as well. So that'll be fun to, to, to see. And we'll be at both those events. We'll have quite a presence at the USCCA Expo. Uh, we will be providing three days of coverage while at the USCCA Expo. We'll have a full-on broadcast booth uh, where we'll have a live video feed if the show floor is open, we will be there doing, a, we'll have a live feed uh, throughout the USCCA Expo. It'll be really cool. So you'll, you'll be one, we'll, we'll get more details out to everybody as we get closer to that. That's just coming up though. Was that? That is uh, April 13th through the 15th, I think is when the show actually runs. So if you are in Louisville, Kentucky or anywhere close to there, you should come to the US, USCCA Expo. Entrance is very affordable. It's, it's pretty che- a pretty cheap show to get into, uh, but we'll have there and we'll have a pretty sizable presence. A reminder of today's sponsors is Guardian Nation, guardiannation.com. And, uh, you know, actually, I think I failed in the beginning of the episode to mention that we uh, wanted to encourage you to, t- to check out the uh, reactive targets that we sell in our online store, concealedcarry.com. Link will be in the show notes. Uh, but you you can go check out these uh, really cool reactive targets. I actually have some set up over there. I have a little trap that I use for airsoft for for trapping airsoft BBs, and I'll do some dry fire with that airsoft gun periodically. And w- what I do to refresh that trap because it just has like a cardboard target in the front is I just keep pasting over top of that these awesome concealedcarry.com eight inch bullseye reactive targets. They're really cool. They work great in that context, but they, they especially work really great at the range. So you want to check those out. So 
to kind of wrap up the episode today, Matthew, and quite literally, I'm planning on doing this and, and playing this back and then just basically saying goodbye and see you later. And so we have just a little video uh, segment from uh, NRA TV featuring Colin Noir. And Matthew has been wanting to share this for two weeks now. <laughs> we didn't do it last week. And we're already so over time with this episode. I'm like, who cares at this point? I mean, this could be a four-hour episode. It's not going to be, because, <laughs> but it's going to be more like two hours. So we're going to play this uh, video that Colin Noir did. He makes some really good points about the uh, ongoing debate in our country uh, surrounding guns. And so I'm going to go ahead and play this now. Uh, for those of you viewing live on Facebook, I'm going to be playing the video as well. So you can see it there. I don't know how well it's going to be synced with the audio, but we'll, we'll hopefully uh, make it work. So here we go. Right now, America is having the largest gun conversation this country has ever had. And no one bothered to actually invite the gun owners. Sure, they talk about gun owners, but they don't actually want them part of the conversation unless they need a bad guy to verbally accost, that is. They treat the conversation on guns like a line outside of a nightclub, and the so bouncer is our mainstream media. Sexy cable news anchor whose entire knowledge on guns is based on the what is an assault weapons Google search she did while standing in a Starbucks line this morning before work, she gets to be part of the conversation. Sycophantic Democratic politician who believes we lose 93 million Americans a day to gun violence, he gets to be part of the conversation. Anti-gun group financed by anti-gun megalomaniac billionaire outed for lying and falsifying stats on guns, they get to be part of the conversation. Journalists who in an attempt to prove how easy it is to buy a gun in America tries to buy a gun only to fail the background check because of his history with alcohol abuse and domestic battery charge, he gets to be part of the conversation. But 34-year-old attorney with 11 years of gun advocacy documented online in print and video, who is also an NRA commentator, gets invited to ask the current president a Second Amendment question only to have the White House say, sorry, we're going to focus on other topics and are going to find another participant in place of the gun topic. And then watch in confusion as they talk about guns. No, he can't be a part of the conversation. That's a true story, by the way, circa 2013, but I digress. The very few foreign in-between times they actually invite gun owners to this conversation, it's a no-win gladiatorial witch hunt. On every issue in this country, we strive to find the most knowledgeable people we can find on a topic. But when it comes to guns, it's like we pride ourselves on finding the smartest dumbasses to talk about guns and then have the audacity to call it common sense. How do you have a conversation about concealed carry with someone who... How do you have a conversation about concealed carry with someone who never carried a gun? How do we have a conversation about ARs when no one in the conversation has ever shot one, much less know how they work? It's not like they're getting people who kind of have an idea. We're talking about people who are mentally inept on the subject, unable to grasp the most elementary aspects of the topic, which would be fine if they were having this conversation in a vacuum, but they're spewing nonsense to millions of people who know less than they do. The worst part about this charade called the gun conversation is the incessant vilification of gun owners, people who actually know what they're talking about. We somehow have devolved so far in this country that we literally blame gun owners for these shootings. Blaming the NRA is no better. The NRA isn't some faceless entity. It's a membership-based organization with over 5 million members who donate to the NRA because they have no voice on the issue because you all insist on only having the conversation with yourselves and waging war against the NRA. You're not waging war against a machine. You're waging war against people, people who have families just like you, 
People who grieve, cry, and feel the same pain that you do when our kids are killed in cold blood in our schools, malls, movies, and streets. The same people who want the shootings to stop, who want to save lives, but just have a different idea about how to do it. Instead of engaging these people like people, all you do is call them disgusting monsters who want kids to die because you're too self-righteous and ignorant to believe there may be another way to approach this that's more effective than gun control. Look, if you really don't want a conversation on guns and are just looking for an excuse to ban them, hell, say that. At least then I can respect the honesty. But y'all can't even do that. Well, there you go. Colin makes some fantastic points uh, here. And uh, I think at the heart of that for me, what I, what I hear when I listen to him make these arguments is don't forget that, yes, I mean, we have right now going on this debate of wanting to protect and defend the lives of kids and children, right? Um, but don't forget that on the other side of that is also normal people people that live want to live our lives. We want to defend our families. And I know that some people think that's just an insane kind of level of paranoia that we, you know, need to have guns to defend, uh, you know, our families. But the fact is we make the case every week that this kind of stuff happens. And it sometimes happens, actually a lot of times happens to regular people in America and they are able to defend themselves. Yes, sir. Well put. Well, anyway, and, well, and Colleen's words are well put. I told you I promised that we wouldn't uh, keep you, in, you know, much longer. I just wanted to play that, and uh, there you have it. Thank you, Matthew, for jo- jumping in, yeah, uh, and uh, kind of taking over from Jacob, who had to take off. Uh, so, thanks everyone for your support of the podcast. Thanks for being a piece of this, and 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 all your support. It makes it all possible and keeps us going, or or else we wouldn't. If, if we didn't have you listening and viewing. Uh, in some form or fashion, then there would be no longer really any desire to, I mean, we do this because we hope that we're getting information out there, the people that need it and people that want it and hopefully it makes an impact, a positive impact in people's lives. So with that, it is time to let you all go. So a reminder to train right, train often and train safe. So you can fight hard, fight fast and fight true. Take care. that laws vary from place to place and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws the concealed carry podcast concealed carry inc concealedcarry.com and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm related incidents and laws but things could be different where you live or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this we cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast